0: That's publichealthquestion at jhu.edu for future podcast episodes. Today, I'm speaking to Dr. Caitlin Rivers, senior scholar at the Center for Health Security at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. She is the lead author of a new report about what comes next for schools, businesses, sports, and entertainment. The report is called Public Health Principles for a Phased Reopening During COVID-19. Guidance for governors. Let's listen. Thank you, Dr. Rivers, for joining me. Tell me about this report on reopening the economy.
1: We are facing a time now when we're hearing more about the decision to reopen. And although it's not time to actually get on with the reopening yet, we know that there are a lot of decisions coming down the pipeline about how and when to reopen and and what should we be reopening. And so this report considers various sectors that have been deemed non-essential, which is to say they are currently closed, and thinking through what might governors want to take into consideration when deciding which of those sectors to reopen. How does the risk of transmission in those settings vary?
0: Got it. And so, you know, just to maybe state the obvious, why can't the governors just say like, okay, back to usual?
1: Right. What we don't want to do is create the conditions that led to us all having to stay home in the first place. We don't want Exponential growth of transmission happening in our communities. We don't want our healthcare systems to be overwhelmed, and we don't want people to be very sick. And so, we need to take a very cautious approach when thinking about reopening. And so, that's what we are uh, thinking through in this report.
0: So, I've heard you say that we get a little bit more time to be thoughtful about opening than we did to close because we did that under emergency circumstances. So. What is the process that you're recommending that governors follow to be thoughtful about reopening?
1: That's right. When governors were having to decide to close, it was tick, 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 new executive orders every day, closing down things because it was an emergency situation, as you say. We have more time to be thoughtful when deciding how to reopen. So what we suggest in our report is that those decisions should be made in consultation with relevant stakeholders. It should be the people working in those industries, relying on those industries, who should be helping to inform the process about when to reopen and what reopening might look like. We also make the point in the report that governors need to be very clear when communicating with the public about what's going into those decisions, who is being consulted, what factors are being considered, what goals are we optimizing on, because that communication is going to help the public to really understand the process and feel more comfortable with it.
0: I mean, what, why couldn't, like, a uh, governor go for a jog, come back, and then announce the plan? You know, what, what why does it really help to do that kind of engagement?
1: It helps because there are a lot that factor into these decisions. We know that staying home has been enormously stressful for people. It's been economically difficult. It's been tough on small businesses. It's been tough for people who rely on these goods and services. And so... The need to reopen is pressing heavily on people. But again, what we don't want to do is just reopen and have transmission start again unmitigated. So we need to strike a balance and we need to be thoughtful. In our report, we focus specifically on the public health elements which settings are at higher risk of transmission and, and which are at lower risk.
0: And so, in part, you know, all these decisions could be criticized either as too fast or too slow.
1: That's right. And I I do want to emphasize that we are not recommending anybody open right now. We lay out in this report and in previous reports the conditions that we would want to see before that reopening starts. We are looking ahead to when it is time to make those decisions.
0: Got it. And make decisions that can stand up to scrutiny from both sides, really.
1: That's right. And that's why we need to be thoughtful and take the time to make the decisions with the best evidence that we, we can.
0: Now, you've got some principles in this report. So for governors, as they're thinking about this and as they're having these conversations with different groups, what are the principles you think are important?
1: Again, it comes back to trying to limit transmission. And so a few ways that you can think about that are with the intensity of contact and the number of contacts. Intensity is how much time you spend with someone and how close is that time. That's Higher intensity interactions will be greater transmission opportunities. And the number of contacts is important, too, because the more people you are in contact with, the more chance there is that one of those people is infected. So those are two dimensions. But there's also a third dimension, which is the degree to which an activity can be mitigated or changed to support physical distancing. Settings with small children, for example, are going to be very difficult to mitigate because children are very good at following rules. But other, other settings, it might be very easy to uh, enable people to stay six feet apart. And so we take that into consideration as well.
0: Got it. So let's, let's talk about each of those factors. So contact intensity. So I'm looking in the report here. Large indoor venues like uh, for concerts and sports, those have high contact intensity. Explain that a little bit.
1: Sure. So we know from the published literature that COVID-19 spreads particularly well when people are in close contact for a long time. So these can be parties, people sharing meals, dormitories, household settings. Those are the kind of settings where SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that causes COVID-19, spreads most efficiently. And so it is that intensity that we are trying to capture with low, medium, and high in our report.
0: Got it. And the number of contacts, because a lot of people could be there at the concert.
1: That's right. The The more people there are, the more chance there is that one of those people is infected.
0: And you've also said the modification potential in that setting is low, meaning that it's hard to imagine having a big concert with like for people
1: right. cheering. <laughs> right, there is the space between people, but there's also the shared surfaces. We, we try to take that into account too. So although you could imagine a concert where people are seated every other chair or every third chair, there will still be a lot of places where people are touching shared surfaces and so on.
0: So in your scheme, this might be an area that comes a little bit later in the stages of rolling out because of those three factors.
1: That's right. We don't make specific recommendations about what's in and what's out, but the higher higher risk settings would presumably come later.
0: Basically, you're giving guidance and principles for the governors to work out through their engagement process. Exactly right. Got it. And let's talk about modification potential a little bit more because you go into that into some detail and because part of this is, well, maybe we can open if we could modify the situation a little bit. And so to talk about the thought process that has to go into the different ways a location can be modified.
1: There's this idea of the hierarchy of controls. And this was originally developed for workplaces that are hazardous. So manufacturing facilities that work with hazardous chemicals, for example, there is a structure to think through how those processes can be modified and which of those modifications is more effective opportunities to completely, in this case, separate people will be more effective than wearing a mask or wearing gloves, for example. And there are some in-betweens, too, that are moderately effective. And so we, when thinking through the modification potential, we try to match it to this framework to identify which settings will be more effectively able to be modified and which will not be as effective.
0: So one of the factors is physical distancing, meaning whether you can just keep people so far apart. There's not really a risk of transmission.
1: That is the, the goal would be to keep people home to the extent possible. So we make the point that teleworking when convenient sh- or when possible should still be the goal. If you are in a shared setting, then yes, six feet apart would be better. Um, and then you sort of go down the line. Another possible intervention, but one that is not as effective as physical intervention would be, or physical distancing rather, would be wearing a mask, wearing gloves, and that kind of thing.
0: I see. So there's physical distancing engineering controls, like actually adding barriers between people.
1: That is preferred, yes.
0: Yeah, administrative controls, which would basically like maybe using technology to facilitate communication instead of having people do face-to-face interactions at all.
1: Or you could do things like having staggered work schedules. So some people come on a Monday and some people come on Tuesday. That's another example of an administrative control.
0: I see. And then finally, uh, protective equipment, which is one you don't want to rely on for everything, it sounds like. exactly. Got it. Okay. So. in this report, you cover an awful lot of different scenarios, kind of giving this high-level guidance. Restaurants, bars, salons, retailers, fitness studios, theaters, but you also get into all kinds of different activities for kids, including summer camps. Anything surprise you when you kind of sat down and went through you know, the different evidence in these different settings that people might not kind of intuitively understand?
1: I think schools are the most difficult topic. Schools are very important to our children's growth. They're very important to our economy because they allow parents to go to work. But we also know that in influenza and other viral diseases that we know a lot about, children are really drivers of transmission. And so it's, they are very important links in the chain. And so I think schools will be one of the biggest decisions facing governors. There's no clear path forward on whether they should open and close at, at certain time points.
0: Is there more data you think that would be useful for governors to make those decisions? Are there studies you think that could be done to help you know better quantify the risks?
1: Yeah, there is emerging evidence that children are just as likely to get infected as adults. They are just thankfully not as likely to get severe illness. But what we really need to know is if having mild illness makes them as likely to be infectious. In other words, can kids spread it even if they have no symptoms at all or mild symptoms? And so that's a really key piece of data for understanding the role of children in transmission.
0: So this probably goes without saying, but you're really anticipating that there will be some Changes to a lot of different kinds of activities to be able to keep people safe. That what the world we go back to when things reopen won't look like the world we left um, in many ways. Is that is that fair?
1: That's right. We are still going to need to implement physical distancing and hand hygiene and all of the protective measures that we have come to realize are important for controlling this virus. And so even when we do start incorporating more activities in the community back into our lives, they will be different. We will still need to stay apart, wash our hands, wash high touch surfaces.
0: And And that's partly why it's important for people to really understand the reasons for that, to be part of the process, to set those limits, and for governors, particularly, to be communicating about you know, why we're going through all these different changes to our daily lives
1: right? We're all working together by staying at home to slow the spread, but we will need to continue to work together in the next phase by taking these these wise actions.
0: Well, uh, Dr. Rivers, thanks so much for spending time to explain this to me today. And uh, I hope um, everything goes well uh, as you roll this report out and get a lot of people to use your guidance to keep us all safe. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Public Health on Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Please send questions to be covered in future podcasts to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. This podcast is produced by Josh Sharfstein, Lindsey Smith Rogers, and Lamare Morales. Audio production by Niall Owen McCusker and Spencer Greer, with support from Chip Hickey. Distribution by Nick Moran. Thank you for listening.